Yeah, if you're a big Hemingway guy, I don't trust you. I don't think that you like women. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This week, it's CompCon week for Jane Eyre month, so we are going to talk about all the different versions that we read, what we liked, what we didn't like, recommendations for if you are, oh, I'm already yawning, my goodness, for if you are a big Jane Eyre fan, that sort of thing, although we're waiting on our recommendations for our mom to text us back, because she's going to give us things that... Betsy and I have a short list, but we think that our mom will probably have a little bit more to offer. Yeah, she's been a Jane Eyre fan about 28 years longer than I have, or more. You're claiming being a Jane Eyre fan from birth? No, that's why I said, or more. Let's try 38, or 48. (laughs) So, just as a reminder, this week we read, this week, oh my gosh, no. This week, I have been frantically listening to Hamnet on on Libby at one and a half times speed. But I'm actually really enjoying it because, anyway, I'll talk about this next week. Spoilers. Um, We read this month Jane, Jane Eyre, My Plain Jane, and Wide Sargasso Sea. So, that is all that we did. Betsy, which one was your favorite? Um, I don't think you can beat Jane Eyre. And even if you can beat Jane Eyre, these three books certainly did not. No, I feel like Wide Sargasso Sea has literary merit in its own right. Like, I don't want to take that away from Jean Reese, but it's not, but it's not a spinoff. It's its own thing. Well, and beyond that, Wide Sargasso Sea was commentary? On the Victorian era and I think a little bit of the gothic novel, mostly of the Victorian era. And the other two books were just like, Jane Eyre has entered the public domain. Let me go about my business. Yeah. Yeah. And there were good things about each of the adaptations. Um, I thought that, um, my plain Jane was kind of fun in its commentary on Victorian tropes, and I like that it maintains that there is a Jane Eyre novel. The source material is just this ghost story. Oh, yes. I also thought that that was fun, that, like, we were seeing the writing of Jane Eyre throughout the entirety of the book. I thought it was really smart to bring in Charlotte Bronte as a character. I think if this... if my plain Jane had truly just been Jane Eyre, but regurgitated with some ghosts, like some real ghosts, not like the ghost of her uncle in the red room or her thinking Bertha Mason is a ghost, but like true apparitions. It would have been kind of boring. Like if my plain Jane was too long with all of the new characters that made it interesting, Imagine if they had not added all the new characters to make the adaptation interesting. No, and you can't rehash Jane Eyre in the same era. You haven't adapted it in any way if you do that. 
So where's the plagiarism line on um public domain? Nowhere, because it's public domain. That's why Project Gutenberg is able to exist. But if you're trying to adapt it, you do have to make some kind of substantive change, like the era or some important plot point. You can't just write Jane Eyre again. Okay. Well, and I think, in all my foolishness, thinking I could, like, read Jane Eyre in, like, three days, I really was convinced that Jane Eyre itself could be pared down into plot. And I think what we found, especially with Jane, is that when you pare Jane down just to its plot, it's boring. Like it's Or when you pare it down just to the plot that is exciting to modern day readers, to just the romance. Well, I don't know if you can count um Jane's spine and her like like so much of Jane Eyre is internal. Even though it's not written in first person, like it's so so Yes it, it is. It is? No, it's not. It is. She says, I? Reader, I married it? Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) This is so embarrassing. Like, so much of it is internal monologue. Not in an annoying way, just, like, Jane thinks a lot. That, like, when you cut all of the things that make Jane Jane and just try to, like, pick and choose the pieces that you're like, this will show it. Like, it's just not as good. No, you really kind of need to go through her whole arc. Although, I don't think that it's a big deal to skip Lowood School. No, I think you have to go there briefly, but maybe you don't have to spend three chapters on it. Well, and three long chapters. Like, it takes a really long time for Helen Burns to die of the the wasting sickness or whatever it was. Tuberculosis, but that's... They didn't know that then. The consumption. Ugh, I'm reading Hamnet right now, which is self-titled like a book about the plague. And Maggie O'Farrell spends an entire chapter just connecting the flea that has the plague to the child of Shakespeare's who gets the plague. And it's really, um... We'll have to talk about this next week, Will and I, but like, It's really freaky to read about illness spreading, because that's just, like, one flea. What about all the rest of the fleas and the germs? Right, and they, well, that's why the plague spread so fast. That and they had no idea how the plague was spreading, and nobody thought bathing regularly would help. Well, and, like, even up into the 1800s, doctors were getting disbarred for like, suggesting that maybe childbirth would go better if doctors washed their hands between patients. Not just disbarred, sent to insane asylum. that's so true. That, there are some facts from AP Euro you're never gonna forget. Right? Like, the invention of germ theory and the, like, later sending of that doctor to the sanitarium. Crazy. 
crazy. You never forget it. Yeah, but here's the conclusion that I've come to after I took an astronomy class in college. So the astronomy professor basically told us, everybody knows the Earth is round. It's a myth that no, that the Greeks didn't think it was. You can see that the Earth is round. You just have to stare at a boat disappearing over the horizon. But when you just look up at the sky, the Earth does look like the center of the universe. So until, Gala until Galileo invented the telescope, there was no real way for us to understand heliocentric theory. And it's the church's fault that they made a dogma and then there was a big fight about it. But if the Greeks had had a telescope, they probably would have been like, cool. Uh, going back to germ theory, it makes much more sense for the illness to be coming from our food or the bodily fluids we can see than it does for it to be coming from these little microscopic things that we can't see. We couldn't see viruses till the 1940s. That's true. So. That's very logical. Okay. I think we've kind of been getting at it, but, like, one of the questions we're trying to answer in CompCon is what makes a good Jane Eyre reboot or offshoot? Uh, the Jane Eyre character is key. Critical, I would say. Yeah. If you've got a strong, confident Jane, you can handle a lot of other stuff. Because... There is no strong, confident Jane in my plain Jane. She's very kind of gullible, almost. Well, and there's no strong, confident Jane in Jane, either. She has a spine. She leaves Nico. But you don't care. I I found it hard to care about either titular Jane in either Jane or my plain Jane. I cared a lot more about Charlotte and my plain Jane. She was the Jane Eyre of that book. Hmm, I wonder if something we should think about for Rex, which we currently have split into basically, like, Jane Eyre adaptations, character studies. What if something we need to think about is just, like, books with, like, a strong central female character who is, like... Like, like, should we be recommending The Witch of Blackbird Pond or Caddy Woodlawn? Maybe. Caddy Woodlawn is, um, I don't know when it was actually published, but. Caddy Woodlawn is a real. 1935. That's a real Tucker family deep cut there, I think. It is, but yeah, she's a strong female lead. And, but this was 1935, so this was published after the Pioneer days. So I was trying to think if Carol would have been a contemporary of Charlotte Bronte's on the other side of the pond, and no. Ooh, but Little Women. You guys are really getting to see the pod in real time this this episode. Because we're really... Betsy and I are really in our, in our procrastination era. The <laughs> outline is usually like a page and a half to... Two and a half with Goodreads pages long. This, with the recommendations each taking up their own line, is like three quarters of a page today. So we're going to see where it goes. Yeah. But no, I really, there are a lot of differences between Joe March and Jane Eyre, but they have a similar kind of backbone in a time when a lot of women didn't have one. Well, and I know that Actually, I think most people liked Greta Gerwig's Little Women. I 
Yeah. Loved that little women. And I love Joe March. Like, I, I don't know a lot of people who, like, in some way did not want to be Joe. And I don't know if that is because of the friends that I've made or if there is something that is so integral to the way that Joe March is and wants to be that is just, like, really accessible to young women who are growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And when I read the original novel earlier this year, it's there are parts where it feels kind of like a moral tale in a bad way, but there are, but it's not as moralizing as a lot of novels from that time period, at least that's what I've been told. And it has a lot of good things to teach young women, even if they never want to read Pilgrim's Progress. I don't, (laughs) or didn't at the time. Yeah, I don't really think I want to read Pilgrim's Progress. I also think that um I have been thinking a lot about, like, family ties, which, like, we're really off topic off of Jane at this point because she doesn't really even have any familial ties and not in a way that is, like, something you want to read about. Like, when I want to read about family ties, like, I want to... I I want to be sobbing in the movie theater for 35 minutes after Beth dies. Like, I think the way that grief works with family ties specifically is, like, fascinating, and I want to read about it, and I want to see it, and I think that's why, like, Little Women is so beloved, and I think it's why I like the book Hamnet so much, and I think it's why I think Pachinko is so good, and why I love to read generational tales, right? But, yeah. It is, we did get on the the topic of all of this because we were talking about strong central female characters, and you asked in the outline, one of the very few things we have in the outline is, so did the two adaptations yeah. we read lose something by not spending as much time on the original Jane's childhood years? We don't understand why Jane is the way that she is in either of the adaptations. We just kind of are expected to, I think, from the source material, and then they kind of, I don't know, prop it up a little bit. By, like, sprinkling some details we already know in, it makes them weak. Yeah, right. And uh, my plain Jane at least kind of speaks to the same origin story. And Jane, that's a totally different dynamic when your birth parents don't love you. Yeah. Than when you're an adopted orphan and you never feel quite at home in that house. And they openly hate you, too. But it's not the same as if they were your mom. Well, and I just have a hard time believing that, like, like we're supposed to... Well, I would say that our family, Betsy, is firmly middle to upper middle class. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd say that's about it. Which we were supposed to understand... In the book Jane, which was the one with the rock star, I feel like we're being confusing because everything has the same name. Um, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is the one with the rock star. The beginning of the book starts with her being like, I have no money. My family left me nothing. My sister got all of this money, et cetera, et cetera. My older brother got the house and he was like, he got 
all their money out of the will, and, like, my parents just, like, didn't really take care of me. I just, like, I have a hard time believing that that would happen. Like, I don't. Because they did leave her something. The stock certificates they left her just turned out to be worthless. I just, um... I also have a hard time believing that, like, there were no aunts and uncles to check in. There were no grandparents. There were no cousins. Like, no one was like, we're worried about this 18-year-old whose parents just died who just finished her freshman year of college. Like, I just... I... I feel like it was a lot more easy to be isolated in Victorian England where if you like live and you can't shoot somebody a text message. No. Why if you live far away, you're waiting six months for a letter. Whereas Jane is set in essentially the two thousands. People are accessible. No one they checked are, in. But we don't I don't think we hear anything. I don't know if she establishes that both her parents are only children, but that's a real possibility in this century that a, that wasn't a real possibility in the Victorian era unless something had gone horribly wrong with a birth. Um, I, yeah, I don't know about the grandparents. I think that your expectation that there would be extended families speaks to how much we love and trust our extended family. And a lot of families aren't like that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <sighs> Shout out to Granddad, who will never listen to this podcast. <sighs> yeah. What a good man. Um. Yeah. Oh, I really said um and then paused for like four seconds. Can't wait to edit that out. Um. I think that something that I as a reader and I've said this every week and I'm going to keep repeating it because I am glad that I reread this book in my 20s and that I did not just like read it while buried under other schoolwork I put in the outline that yeah. Charlotte is giving you the keys to the kingdom with the title this book is so much better if you read it understanding that it is about Jane. Like, it's called Jane Eyre. And I've said this every episode. People, I'm beating a dead horse here. But, like, all of the authors who wrote adaptations did not understand that. They didn't get it. And maybe more than a title, that should be your recommendation from this month. Pick up a book that you were forced to read in high school and read it again in your 20s with no commitments. What would you reread? I mean, I guess you kind of have... You kind of... Well... Have a hard time here because you probably yeah. read them in college, but... I did. I reread the books that I read in high school over and over again. Um, uh, maybe To Kill a Mockingbird? Oh... I would reread to, to, to Kill a Mockingbird. I also think, like, the ones that you've told me that I need to read. Like, there is a reason that people recommend classics. And I don't think you should take classic recommendations from a man. I will never, I will never say that on this podcast. Any man who tells you that a classic is one of his favorite books is inherently not trustworthy. 
However, unless it's Pride and Prejudice. And then he might I be lying. Dad loves to kill a mockingbird. Oh, I'm speaking of things like, um, oh, one sec. Sam? Samuel? What, what is a book that a man, come here. What is a book that if a man recommends it, it makes it untrustworthy? If a man recommends a book? Yeah. If a man recommends a book, like, what's a red flag book? Non-American Psycho. We're talking classics. Uh, can it be a book that's also a red flag if a woman recommends it? Sure. Atlas Shrugged? Okay, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But classics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't read a whole lot of classics. You, babe, you literally just read War and Peace. Okay, that's a green flag. <laughs> I I feel like um like anything by um oh Vonnegut. Why did I say it like that? How do you say his name? That is how you say it. Oh, okay. Anything by Vonnegut, or like if he's like, oh, I'm a big Thoreau guy. Pretentious. Is this a bad take? No. Or are you asking Sam? No, I'm asking you. Sam just went back to his his computer games. Great. Okay. Um, not necessarily. I mean, we talked about Infinite Jest last week. I'm with you. That one is a red flag for me, or would be if I ever dated men. Oh, um, but. the uh, the authors who wrote after World War One who like um. Oh, name me a male. What? Oh, uh, like F. Scott Fitzgerald or yeah. Miss Hemingway. Yeah, if you're a big Hemingway guy, I don't trust you. I don't think that you like women. Not in a not in a gay way. In a like, if you're, I think that you are pretentious and that you don't respect women. Might you might be a misogynist? <laughs> yeah. I can see that. I don't think those men really liked anyone or anything, and there was no treatment for PTSD at the time. You're always seeing the best in people, Betsy. I'm out here trying to come up with a take that's <laughs> like a man who reads Hemingway isn't trustworthy, and you're like, have you considered that people have PTSD? <laughs> well, that doesn't excuse all of the things that these men did. I mean, Ezra Pound was a fascist, but... <laughs> And that is true. Yeah, you can, you can, yep. Like an actual fascist. Oh, like when, um, when in high school I had to read parts of A People's History of the United States and dad said, and he was oh, an actual communist. Howard Zinn is a communist. And I was like, oh, so he like believes the government should pay for some things. And he was like an actual communist. Yeah, <laughs> like that. I'm I still tell people that story right around the time I explained to them why I've never had Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I've had Ben and Jerry's. That stuff is so good. I, tr- I tried it once in college. It's like a rebellion thing. And it's not like I feel that kind of loyalty to dad's causes. But it's expensive. Well, you also believe in certain pieces of socialism. I do, yes, and like I said, I am not that committed to Dad's cause, but Ben and Jerry's is expensive. Sometimes you just gotta buy good ice cream. Um. Yeah. 
I feel like we're not talking about White Sargasso Sea very much, and I think it's because it's not a very fun book, and it's not really a Jane Eyre adaptation. I want to say, I think it is good to read, like, offshoots of books that center characters of color that are treated very poorly in an original text written by a white person during a bygone era. I think that that is good. However, it there Jane Eyre isn't a part of it, so it's hard for us to compare to the original book and also, like, everything else. I'm glad we read it. I'm glad I read it, but I don't know if we're going to talk a ton about it in CompCon. Yeah, we can't talk about the Jane representation because there is none. We can talk about the Rochester representation, but, um, and I am also glad I read it. I, like the reviewer that I read from last week, have been scared to kill my love of Jane Eyre by reading a more cynical take on what happened before, but it's a good book in its own right. Yeah. I don't know that I'll go back to it over and over again, but... No, I don't know if it's a big reread. I think it is for some people, but the post-colonialists were not, the post-colonial authors were not people I would have studied um, in grad school. Or if I would have, it would have been in a seminar. It would not have been my thesis. Well, and you didn't go to grad school for English. You went to grad school for library science. So how much reading did you do oh, exactly. about literature? Not a whole lot. I could have in some of my classes. Like, there are classes on children's lit you can take at the iSchool. But, no, I didn't get my master's in English because I didn't think there was anything that I wanted to think about for two years straight. That's really, um, that's really self-aware. That's smart. (laughs) Have you, as you have read less and learned less in, like, a literature sense, found something you wish you could study more? Um? I'm really always putting you on the spot with these in-depth questions. I'm like, do you wish you could get a master's in linguistics? Speak. Do you have something you'd do a master's on now that you're a couple of years removed from your bachelor's? Well, I'd do a master's in linguistics. I might do a master's in Latino studies, although I don't know if I, as a white person, am really allowed to. Um, I also don't know. Would you, you, I guess everyone, the, the listener should know that Betsy also was a Spanish major. So when she did her, did, wasn't your, uh, capstone, like a double capstone, you submitted your, uh, in order to graduate with honors, I wrote a 50-page thesis on Dominican diaspora literature. And you submitted that for both majors? You didn't have to write two separate capstones? Oh, um, so the capstone for my other major was all of the comprehensive exams that I took. Which one did you write the capstone for, Spanish or English? Spanish. But this was actually separate from the Spanish capstone. This was an extra thing that I took on on top of my senior year courses to graduate with honors in Spanish. So you wrote a 50-page paper in Spanish on the Dominican diaspora authors. 
in English, there wouldn't have been enough people on the committee for it to be in Spanish. You know, I don't know if you ever feel this way, because I think we both valued going to small schools, but sometimes it would have been nice to go to a bigger school with a bigger faculty. I liked Oxbridge for that reason. I kind of got the best of both worlds. I got to spend a year at one of the best research institutions in the world. But then I also got that small college environment where I got to um, get to know people and get to know my professors and feel like I was obligated to be in class every day. I don't know that I would have been a skipper even if I'd gone to KU, but it felt like I was accountable to somebody and that was good. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, one of the other questions that I have in here is, did we read a good Jane Eyre offshoot? I feel like the answer is no. No, uh, because I would say that, again, White Sargasso Sea isn't really an offshoot. Um, it covers some of the same characters, but the territory is very different. Yeah. And... um yeah, I think that Jane needed to make different decisions about what it was going to keep and what it was going to throw away. And I think that My Plain Jane was fun, but Jane Eyre didn't feel like a great Jane to me. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I Rereading Jane after reading Jane Eyre... I think, one, I was a little annoyed with the, like, straight-up regurgitation of, like, certain parts of Jane's character. Like, I wish that April Lindner had been able to find a way to, like, rewrite the story without trying to characterize Jane only by, like, vaguely changing a couple of lines in a sentence and then being like, and here's how you know, Jane has a spine. I... I do think it is yeah. fun to be like, what if Mr. Rochester was a rock star? I think that's fun. But also, like, the point of Jane Eyre is that she's plain, not that she's mousy. And both of the Janes and the rewritten versions that we read were kind of mousy. A little bit, yeah. Um, And I think that that is what plain translates to in today's world. Because even the plainest woman can learn to contour. <laughs> I mean, I can't. <laughs> I've been told. Oh, that's good, Betsy. I um, I also think that books and movies and musicals and TV shows have to, like, they really are always trying to, like, have, like, Ugly Betty and the musical Dogfight and, like, all of these shows that are, or um any of the teen movies where a girl with glasses takes her glasses off and suddenly she's hot. Like, all of them are stuck in the conundrum of, like, we're not calling women ugly anymore. So, like, how am I supposed to have an ugly character because I can't have an ugly actress? Like, the musical Dogfight, I'm fuzzy on this, but the plot is... I'm not fuzzy on the plot. I'm fuzzy on how they do this with the actress 
so it's they're about to leave for Vietnam. There's like a big group of Marines, and they decide to have a dog fight. Which in this case, they all make a bet to see who can bring the ugliest girl to the dance. Oh, and the rest of the guys hire prostitutes. But one guy goes and, like, brings in a girl that he meets. Oh, no. And it it is a sweet musical. And I think it is particularly supposed to show the youth of the people we sent to Vietnam. And the immaturity. Yeah. But also, like... I'm unclear on if they were, like, choosing, like, the actress is technically plus size, so they, they just, like, pick a plus size girl and try to make that what happened. I, I'm really fuzzy, really fuzzy on how they, like, deal with that. Like, am I just supposed to about, read about it in the program? Do they explain it beforehand? Anywho. Well, I now live very close to New York City. Oh my god. Can you write a letter to Lindsay Mendez for me and ask her to explain the musical dogfight? Tony winner Lindsay Mendez? No but, if, no, but if you'd like to split a hotel room with me, we can buy tickets. I don't think it's in on Broadway anymore. But also, I mean, I'm not opposed to going to New York City. I have to get a new job first and make more money. But right? Yeah. But I'm working yes, on and it. when I say split a hotel, yeah, and when I say split a hotel room, I think I mean that if we were in rural Indiana, we would each, we would be paying the same amount total for the room that we'd each be paying. That's okay. But, Everything works out. Um, it does. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that Jane Eyre adaptations movie adaptations have suffered from this because there are no ugly women in Hollywood. There are, like, interesting-looking women, though. Like, yes, but can you imagine... I'm trying to think because it feels like it's insulting to even say interesting-looking, but... I thought that Mia Wysowski was not, like, so breathtakingly beautiful that... I couldn't see her as Jane Eyre. I also think that no, there that is the, there is a way to like that one did the best job. I think so too. Also, like you can put a pretty woman in an ugly dress, and it does like like and make it so her makeup looks like she's really pale and tired, and like that can do a lot, especially like not to like we are sheeple. Like, if you tell me a woman is supposed to look pale and tired and plain, and then, like, try to make her look that way, and I've read a novel where I'm supposed to understand that the main character is plain and tired and pale, and, like, I'm like, okay, I believe you. Believable. The other thing is that a lot of the features that made Jane Eyre plain at the time are things we now like. Oh! Like, the fact that she's petite and the fact that she's not very plump Mm, yeah that makes sense well and like it's not like Jane Eyre can like put in a little voiceover like they did in the Barbie movie 
where like Margot Robbie's like laying on the ground and being like, I'm so ugly and sad and depressed. And like the voiceover comes over and is like, uh, note to the audience. We wrote this line and then hired Margot Robbie and like, this probably isn't hitting that hard, basically. Yeah. Like, it's not like they can do that in Jane Eyre and be like, Mia Wysowski is actually a beautiful woman, but like, just, you know, see what we want Mia you to see. Wasikowska. Am I saying it wrong? I think you are. Who knows? Oh, sorry to, sorry to Mia, who is Polish and has a Polish last name. I do miss her. I wish she was in more stuff. She had a little, she had a little heyday, but I haven't seen her in a while. I think she's picking weird projects now. Oh, yeah. And this was kind of an indie thing when she did it. Which, fascinating that Michael Fassbender could be in an indie thing. Oh, I'm putting this in Rex. I'm putting Jane Eyre Michael Fassbender version. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's the... And also the uh, most recent BBC adaptation is supposed to be good if you want a longer form thing. Now, the issue I had with the BBC adaptation when I watched part of it is that it's very dark. Ugh. Like in a you-need-to-turn-up-the-brightness kind of way. That is so frustrating. We are going to- We are rehashing every argument the the internet has ever had tonight. And one of them is, please turn up the brightness I cannot see. <laughs> right. Now, that was back when our DVD player was in the middle of breaking <laughs> our last one. And remember how, like, greenish and dark everything got? So I'm not sure if it's actually really dark or if the DVD player was broken. Okay. Okay, that's a great point. Do you want to rank the Mr. Rochesters? Sure. Let's do that. Okay. My number one Mr. Rochester is Mr. Rochester. Yes, the original one. <laughs> yes, the original Mr. Rochester from Jane Eyre. He's number one. It's easy. He experiences remorse. He says the funniest line of all time, which is, what is bigamy? Yes, I meant to be a bigamist. That's hilarious. Also, like, he's just... He's, like, the most normal of all of them. He's not possessed by a ghost. He isn't trapped by, trapped by his Victorianism like he is in White Sarg SOC. He isn't, and I know we disagree on this, he isn't 20 years older than a 19-year-old who recently lost all of her family. He is 20 years older than a 19-year-old. She's just been familyless forever. Also... That is a lot more normal in the Victorian era. I can pretend I do not see it in the Victorian era, but Nico Rathburn, you're a creep. I would, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue that. I do, I think that that is a thing that had to stay the same in order for the book to be recognizably Jane Eyre, but I agree that it's creepy. She could just be 21 and he could be like 34. Like that would be even okay with me. I just, like, really needed him not to be, like, 40 and her to be, like, yeah, 19. Almost. Like, I wish she had finished her, like, 
junior year of college before her entire family died. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I do, yeah, I think original Mr. Rochester is the best. I do think that he is hampered by his Victorianness. It's just that so is the author, so is the text, because it's from that time period. Yeah. So it's a little less aware than White Sargasso Sea. Charlotte Bronte's not making a commentary on how repressed he is, because that's just how British men at the time were. He just wives. is repressed. Yeah. Okay, so number one, Mr. Rochester. My number two. I know I just said some crazy things. Is Nico Rathburn. <laughs> Really? I think if we're going in order of culpability, I would say Possessed by a Ghost Mr. Rochester is number two. Because really, he ne- he wasn't flirting with a girl 20 years his junior, his brother was, and his brother is dead. But why Nico Rathburn? Um, he's hot. <laughs> he's not supposed to be hot. This is a romance about two ugly people, and that's okay. However, consider, I also am living a um, pauper's experience. I make $37,000 a year, which is not very much money. So I think generally the idea of, like, dating a rock star who could just give me a lot of money is fun. Like, I'm always going to be like, oh, this is a nice little fantasy. Yet again, I wish she was older. I wish he was younger. I do think he's the second best Mr. Rochester, though. Yes, and I feel, I also feel that way about the idea of dating a rock star, except I make 44000 a year. <laughs> um, well, if anyone but- is listening to the podcast who has a lot of money, hit us up. Send I, yeah, send it. I'm not in a gold... And not in a gold diggery way. I am not entitled to your money. But if you want to give it to me, I won't object. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I did see the other day. This actually made me feel crazy. One of the Casey Current players was, like, joking around on Instagram. And then people, and then she just, like, posted her Venmo. And was like, if anyone wants to send me anything. How hard up are you? You're a professional athlete. It's- the audacity. Yes, but she's a woman. I yes. You know, professional athletes do not make that much money. I know, I know, but I still was like, hey now. This doesn't seem right. Yeah, I know, because we're conditioned to think professional athlete equals lots of money, but there's a reason that nobody won and duns from the women's NCAA. You can make more with an NIL contract than you can in the WNBA. That's true. Um I will retract Nico Rathburn as my number two if I am allowed to put Alexander Blackwood in. Yes, I can see that. He's he's not Mr. Rochester, but... He is um, our male protagonist. And he is a better male protagonist, arguably, than any of the Mr. Rochesters except the original one. I would agree. If we're just ranking the Mr. Rochesters... It's Rochester, Rathburn, Possessed by a Ghost Rochester, and then 
potentially has the ability to make women go crazy, White Sargasso C. Rochester. I think that's the order. Right. Yes. Uh, horrible racist Rochester goes last. Correct. Although it could be argued that the, the original Rochester is also racist, considering he, um... I don't know. I uh, do not love how, um, how Bertha Mason is described. Yes, but White Sargasso see Bertha is white, one. And two, Rochester is not responsible for how she's described. Ah, that's true. That's true. Okay, I will accept it's, that. It's more like the whole... Yeah, it's more like the whole book comes from a time that was a little more racist. And I'm not back thening. I'm not saying it was okay because they did it back then. But it's... It is what it is. That's true. Okay, should we rank the rewritten versions? I feel like we've already done this. And also, we really only have, like, two rewritten versions because I don't think we can put White Sargasso Sea on the list. My- no. Yeah, I think original. Yeah. Oh, just the rewritten versions. What do you think? I would put my plain Jane ahead of Jane. Absolutely. By like by a mile to me. Like my plain Jane was fun. I had a good time reading it. It was a little bit long, but like we had new characters, and it wasn't just like a regurgitation. Jane is a regurgitation. And I think all of the implications of that, like a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth with how it is regurgitated. Yeah. I know I keep saying it's not that much different from a Pride and Prejudice knockoff, but those have managed to diverge a little more, I think, a lot of them. Well, and I think that's what it comes down to, not to be a dead horse, but this is a book about Jane. Whereas Pride and Prejudice yeah. is truly a love story, I think. I don't know. Mom, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. Um, No, I think you're right. I And I think that Mom blames Jane Austen for the modern-day bodice ripper. So, um, Or credits her with it? I don't know. Mom is not a fan of them, but she does think that that's the start. And I think and she is a fan of Austin. You can rewrite a love story so many different ways in comparison to a book that is at its core. I don't know if I'm using this phrase correctly. You're the English major, like a character study that has romance in it. Yeah, I think you could say that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, that would be my rank. Um, I don't think there are any more things to rank in this, unless we want to rank the Jane Eyre's, and I think we already did. Oh, um, no, I had one more thing that I was going to have us rank. I'm trying to remember. No, I don't know if there's anything else to rank. I think that's it. I think, I think we have talked about all of the different versions of Jane Eyre as much as we can. Yes. Um... If we want to recommend more versions of Jane Eyre. Yes. One, our number one recommendation for the month is just to read Jane Eyre. Like, 
this is not a, if you like Jane Eyre, well, we have those too, but like, if you haven't read Jane Eyre, if you are trying to read more of the classics, you should read it. It's good. It's well written. It's interesting. Please don't make the mistake that I made and think that it is about Jane Eyre in Rochester. It is about Jane Eyre. Enjoy it that way. Yep. The two movie adaptations we talked about earlier, uh, a novel called The Air Affair by Jasper Ford that we um, stumbled on while we were attempting to um, find more Jane Eyre adaptations to talk about. Um, I just downloaded it from Libby. I'm only on chapter four, but it's part hard-boiled detective mystery in a speculative sci-fi world and part Jane Eyre fanfic from what I can tell. Kind of fun. And people like it. I have the first wave gothic novels and also some books that were um, contemporaries of the Brontes. Um, One, if you like BBC adaptations of anything, Number one BBC adaptation that should be on your list right now is North and South. You need to watch North and South. Really? Yeah. North and South is good. I would say Pride and Prejudice. Oh, that's true. For coming out of that lake. (laughs) I do. I do love the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice as well. I will say North and South is shorter than the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. So if you're looking to like dip your toe in the water, you should watch North and South. Um, yeah, we texted our mother, hi mom, to give us some recommendations because we were both coming up a little bit empty, especially on Charlotte Bronte's contemporaries. So two gothic novelists from the 20th century, 20th century is 1900s. Yes. Okay. Mary Stewart and Victoria Holt. And then she also said Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier is pretty gothic as well, which Rebecca is pretty creepy. And I think a movie just came out of it also with Lily James and, oh, The Cannibal. So maybe we shouldn't watch it. Um, It's not a, oh, oh, that Cannibal. Okay. We're speaking, of course, of Army Hammer. Um, And then she also recommended Elizabeth Gaskell. So Elizabeth Gaskell was a contemporary of the Brontes, and she wrote North and South, which has a strong female main character and a somewhat Rochester-like hero. As someone who's watched North and South at least two times, I would agree with this. Um, The main character is very, like, staunch in what she believes about the world, and the main character is a little bit of... Like, he has a little bit of... How would you say this? Like, he's not a bad person, but she sees him as doing things that are bad because she was born and raised in the um farming south, the agricultural south, and he and moves to the industrial north. And then they have to kind of figure out how to put together their their lives and fall in love and it's good it's really good also he's handsome yeah. in the bbc adaptation and that's something to consider and i remember north and south too as like a true romance it's not a story about her it really is a story about them 
Yes, that's true. And I know I have been extolling on reading books that are Jane Eyre. It is called North and South. Perhaps a little bit of a Pride yeah. and Prejudice vibe. Something and something. Yes. And yes, you can read the BB. You can watch the BBC miniseries. You can also read the book by Elizabeth Gaskell. G-A-S-K-E-L-L. Um, other recommendations? Oh! Did you think of a good one? Yes, we talked about A Town Like Alice a couple weeks ago. Oh! We're going to talk about strong female characters. Yes. We're kind of splitting, once we get past the gothic novels, we're kind of splitting our recommendations into two areas. Character studies and strong central female character. So, yes, A Town Like Alice, which is by Neville Schrute. You know I'll never recommend a book written by a man, but this time I will. Yeah, Neville is it shoot? Neville shoot. Mm. Yeah, S-H-U-T-E. I think I added a C a couple weeks ago when I spelled it, but there's no C. It is. I feel like mom is just going to be tickled. We're just recommending all of her favorite books. Yes, but she taught us to love a lot of them, too. Um, um Yes. Yeah, that's- that has a strong central female character set in wartime. Uh, they split for a while. It, ooh, chef's kiss. I love A Town Like Alice. I don't know how to summarize a book without spoiling it. I really don't. Props to everyone who is writing the back of book jackets, because that is a job that I frankly could never do. Right. I just want to tell everybody how good it was and how much I liked the twist and... All the feelings that I had. Exactly. Um, Strong central female right. character, Little Women. I already talked about how much I love Joe Mar- Jo March. And then I also um, have on the list, Betsy, have you read Where the Crawdads Sing? No, I have not. I think I read the end. Bet- <laughs> Betsy. That's, that is the thing that I do when I don't want to read the whole book. I'm like, if I know how it ends, I can talk about it. So I, I know that people have issues with this book. I loved it. It has a split timeline, which you know I am obsessed with a split timeline. It has a strong central female character. I also love romance, and there is romance in this book. And it also has a woman potentially getting away with murder. What could be better? Like, that's great. So you bring in some of the moral ambiguity from Jane Eyre as well. Well, and also, she spends a lot of this book alone or in her own head, which I think is very similar. And there are people who move around her who like her and care for her, but she is, to a point, like, very much so alone. And so I think that... That kind of fits. Doing recommendations is always interesting because, like, how do you, how do you give book recommendations for Jane Eyre? A classic. Like, how do you be like, okay, so if you liked this classic, I guess I have some other books that aren't considered classics that you might enjoy. Like, it's just, it feels a little funky. Yeah. Um. Yes, and um, so when I say, so um, Jane Eyre was a second wave gothic novel. 
the first wave gothics were uh, a little pre-that, and it was all very, like, melodramatic. Um, not that all women's fiction is melodramatic, but they were considered girl books. Real men didn't read Anne Radcliffe. You could also, you could go for other Bronte sisters' books. Um, I know that we have not exactly given a glowing review of Wuthering Heights. I think it's good in its own right. It's just not a romance. And if you walk in expecting a romance, you'll either be disappointed or your idea of what a man should be is dysfunctional and you should go to therapy. <laughs> okay. So fair. Um, oh, the other books that I have on here are like character studies or books that are like very, I don't know. I, I think that because I read so much fantasy or romance that anytime I read a book that's like a grown up book, I'm like, these are all in the same category. So I do think that if you're looking for more character studies where you just get to spend a lot of a book with a character who has a lot of like feelings and emotions and you like want to really see in their brain and feel their feelings. Um, you should read A Gentleman in... I feel like I've re recommended A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towels, like, six times. Like, I feel like every month I'm like, well, if you like reading books, you should read this book. But it is really genuinely a wonderful novel. Like, I, I couldn't put it down. I found it... You care so much about every single character in the book, and that is so special and important, and I think that people should read books like that. So if you – and then also both books I – next month, shameless plug, I think this is a good transition, um, is Maggie O'Farrell month. I am listening to Hamnet as we speak. I can't stop myself from talking about it. Um, also – a the Marriage Portrait. It has all of her books have split timelines. Fascinating. Love it. Um, and you spend a lot of time in the characters' heads. I think that if you want to read books with reliable narrators, both The Gentleman in Moscow and Hamnet and The Marriage Portrait have reliable narrators because they aren't first person. Maggie is telling you everything that is going on. Like, I really believe that. And I feel like we haven't read a lot of books on the podcast that you, that you can do that. So those are my recs. I think that's a lot of recommendations. An hour ago, when we were staring at the outline, we were like, what do we even do? Yeah, but we should also, I will also share the mad woman upstairs. Oh, yes. Um, because our mother would be upset if we didn't. And also, it's a good book. Um, so it's about the last descendant of the Bronte sisters. So it's, oh, yes, I didn't I've choose read it this. for this month. Yeah, I didn't choose it for this month because it's less Jane Eyre fanfic and more Bronte sisters fanfic. But the other great thing about it is that the author actually took a second to research Oxford. Like, so often, the main character in a romance set at Oxford is like, I'm going to Oxford, which is 
not what you say. You, I mean, you say you're going to Oxford, but then you say which college. Second, they always have a roommate. Nobody in England has a roommate. That's an American thing. Um, Speak on it, third, Betsy. They'll do like regular American lecture style classes instead of tutorials. Anyway, she she took the time to actually um, find out enough that it feels accurate. My favorite bad Oxford is from the Mary-Kate and Ashley movie New York Minute, which I watched while I was at Oxford, I think. And so the smart twin is trying to win a scholarship to Oxford, and at the end, she gets it, and she says, I'm moving to London! Which is not where you're going if you're going to Oxford. You're moving to Oxford. (laughs) Oh, that's very funny. Right? Um, oh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I've told you you need to read Babel, right? Because it's set in Oxford, and I think that it is. Well, it's set in Oxford in, like, the 1700s or 1800s. Well, which is still accurate as long as all of the students are male until, like, the 70s. Oh, well, um, they fudge it a little, but it's done with purpose. Okay. Well, I have, I checked it out from the library. Um think that I had a lot of other books on my list at that point or not enough books on my list. I don't know. I will get to it because I respect your recommendation. I simply, I will say I find it difficult to get into RF Kwong books specifically because she, um, she does not mince words with how she feels about colonialism and war and like being a revolutionary and the british she like she really says how she feels about it you see it very clearly on the page and which is not to say that i like don't agree with her opinions but like you know when you read her books you are like going to be experiencing something yeah so i have to find a day where i have the energy to experience things Ugh, brutal. That's brutal. Right. Okay. Thanks for being on Jane Eyre Month, Betsy. We did it. Yes. Thank you for having me. Of course. I I had a really good time talking about all the different versions of Jane Eyre. Um, I did, too. Good. Oh, also, everyone, wish Betsy a happy birthday on the 18th. It's her birthday. In two days, we're recording this on the 16th, um, or else I will wish you a happy early birthday. I did not call the bookstore in Oneonta yet to That's see okay. if they have your book, but if not, your present might be a little late because I'm going to order it there because we don't want to give Jeff Bezos any more of our money. Right. I'll have to remember to go to the Green Toad when you finally tell me what you want for your birthday, which was <laughs> last week. <laughs> Well, I don't, yeah, I'll have to think about it, because I already bought myself a copy of Babel, because it finally came out in paperback. I know, I just, I had to do it, I couldn't wait any longer. Also, I made my once, this is so funny, I made my once every six months Amazon purchase, because every once in a while you just have to, like, get a big order and put it all together, Um, and I needed, like, eight more dollars to get free shipping, so I bought a copy. 
Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I had to do that at the library. At the library? I bought four DVDs. I bought four DVDs for the collection. Oh, And they weren't quite up to $35, so I had to pay the shipping, which was super annoying. That is annoying. Okay. Sorry, we got off topic, but I'm going to wrap us up. This has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Follow us on Instagram at English Majors Pod. Send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. And next month will be Maggie O'Farrell Month. We're going to talk about Hamnet. Exciting. I'll see you guys next week.